0: Today I want to talk about five unreasonable expectations that people have about government contracting. I want to give you the unreasonable expectation and then give you the proper expectation along with a few tips and tricks as we go through here today. The first one that I think is an unreasonable expectation is that the government has to give you contracts because of your status. A lot of people will get these statuses like WSB, SDVSB, 8A, minority owned business like the MBE. At the state level and different things like that. The confusion here is they believe that the government has to give you money because you have one of these statuses and it's just not true. There are like two kind of factions when it comes to the government. There's the small business offices and the OSDIBUs, the Office of Small Disadvantaged Business, and they're really, really focused on hitting those small business goals and meeting all of those criteria. And even on the SBA side, they're really focused on hitting all of those goals and rightfully so I commend them for wanting to try and hit all those goals. But the challenge is you have the contracting side of things and on the contracting side of things, their focus is not hitting those goals. Their focus is successfully fulfilling a contract. So they want to issue a contract, pick the best contractor to do the work, supply the product, whatever it is, and they want to get that done in the best and most affordable and efficient way possible. That's their focus. If that's the key word there. If they can do it with a small business, that's just icing on the cake to them. A lot of times those two don't see eye to eye, those two different factions there. The other side of that is the command they work at. There could be a four-star general or somebody else that says, look, I don't care about our small business goals. My focus is we're going to have excellent contract ratings through all of this. The small businesses that we do support are going to be outstanding. The large primes are going to do their job and we're just going to have flaw execution on these contracts. And he's going to say again, if they happen to be small business and we hit our goals, awesome. But if not, I don't care. I know there's a lot of people that are going to hear this and say, Mike, how dare you say that? And my pushback is when's the last time someone got fired in an agency for not hitting their small business goals. I don't know of a time that's ever happened. There's a lot of good faith effort to do this, but you have two different factions with two different goals here. A lot of times what wins is the contracting side of things. Now, here's the thing. If you do have one of those statuses, what can you do to actually make sure the government is using you? Number one, you can be using that Office of Small Disadvantaged Business Utilization, the OSBPs as well. You can be using them as well as the SBA to communicate with contracting officers at the agencies. Use those offices. Make them do their job to help introduce you properly at those agencies because a lot of times we have a hard time getting to the contracting officer. It's these people's jobs to open doors for you. So use them to open those doors for you so that you can actually make contact with these people. The other part of it is make sure you're clearly communicating your value to them because if you're not clearly communicating that you have value besides your status, then the only thing you're communicating is that your value is your status. And we don't want that. There's a hundred, 500, a thousand other companies that have your status that do what you do. You need to stand apart from them by communicating that you have value based on how you've executed in the past on your past performance and things like that. So if you do that, guess what? The government's going to want to give you contracts because you have value, you have executed in the past and And you happen to have a status that they really, really need. The other component of that is when you're talking to an agency, go do your research and see how they've awarded in the past. And if they have always missed the goal for your status, for the love of God, please don't bring that up in a meeting. Don't bring that up. Just be aware of it and be aware of the statuses they are favoring. Let's say you have two or three statuses and you know they favor the WSB status for whatever reason. That's the status that you talk about with them when it gets to that point in your capability brief. That's the one you highlight because that's what they've historically been spending money in. And then you could say, and oh, by the way, we also have this status. So you could check that box too, but highlight what they're used to. So that was number one. Number two, people think a GSA schedule is a lot like Amazon, where people are just on Amazon spending millions of dollars all the time, if not billions of dollars that your buyers are sitting there late at night, just looking through GSA schedules, trying to spend money with you and if you have a GSA schedule, you're going to sell millions and millions of dollars of your product or service. That is an unreasonable expectation. Did you know we have our own community for government contractors? It's called Federal Access. Just visit federal-access.com forward slash changers, and you can get 50% off your first month. This thing is packed full of all kinds of resources, templates, documents, strategy guides, everything you need to be a government contractor. And it gets you in our inner circle where you have direct access to myself and my partner, Josh Frank. So go check it out today at federal-access.com forward slash changers. Now let's get back into this episode your GSA schedule is just a contracting vehicle for them to execute on. It's part of the acquisition strategy. You still have to do the marketing and sales and positioning, the pre-acquisition work. You may have to do sources sought, RFIs, all those sort of things to let contracting officers know that you exist to communicate your value and eventually that, hey, I have this GSA schedule, so there's this vehicle that you can use to purchase with me. You've got to do all of that. GSA is not like Amazon. The buyers are not just sitting on there all day scrolling and just hitting add to cart. That's not happening. Number three, the unreasonable expectation is that the government is sitting on pins and needles just waiting for your revolutionary widget. A lot of times people will call me up and say, Mike, I've invented the greatest fill in the blank. There's nothing like it on the planet. And once the government hears about this, this thing is going to go gangbusters. That's an unreasonable expectation. When you're trying to introduce a new product to the market, especially if the government doesn't have anything similar to it, or even if it's replacing something the government has, the government's very risk adverse. They don't like to just switch to a new product without some testing or some proof, especially like the social proof that, hey, you're selling this in the commercial market and you have results of how this thing works. They don't want to be a guinea pig. If you have something new that you're trying to sell to the government, you need to understand that that takes time. It takes like grassroots level support a lot of times. And even if you introduce something and they're like, I've got to have this, a lot of times they don't have the budget for it. And so they have to allocate that into future budgets, depending on when you get to them in their budgeting cycle. That could be six months. It could be 12 months. It could be 18 months before they get that into their budgeting cycle. So just be aware that it's slow to introduce new products and services into the government. Now, if you invented the latest greatest bulletproof armor that you're like look this thing is light as a t-shirt and it'll repel a tank round something crazy like that the government would stop in their tracks and take a look at this thing but it needs to be that extreme to make them stop in their tracks and take a look at it if it's just going to make their life 10 percent or 20 percent better you're gonna have to push this thing uphill and do the marketing to get that exposure it may take six months it may take two years it really just depends but it's unreasonable to think that the government is just going to jump on the latest, greatest thing you have because you think it's the latest, greatest thing. They may not think that. And especially if you've not sold it to the commercial market before, they're going to be weary that, hey, you've only got prototypes or whatever it may be. You got to think through that kind of stuff. The next one here is that the market is easy. A lot of people think this market is super easy because they've watched movies like War Dogs and stuff like that. And they've seen people go on back in the movie. It was Fed Biz Ops, but they watched people go on there and they just like, Hey, I'm just going to submit quotes and RFPs and we're just going to win money and just rake this stuff in. That's just not how it happens. If you are only submitting RFPs and RFQs, quotes and proposals, a lot of times the government's already got somebody in line or or multiple people in line because someone's been doing the hard work. I'm not going to say that government contracting is hard, but there's a process that eventually makes it easy with time. It's not just, hey, respond to a bunch of RFPs and win. It's follow the process, market yourself properly, do those capability briefs, build relationships with contracting officers and program managers, prove that your value is real, and position yourself for future contracts, and then you can start winning. And it'll probably be very, very consistent at that point. And then government contracting does get easy. But out of the gate, there's a lot of confusion. Out of the gate most companies take three to five years to win their first contract. That's why on our fast track coaching program I always tell people we're trying to reduce that three to five years to six to 12 months because six to 12 months is a whole lot faster than three to five years. That's our goal is to reduce it to six to 12 months. The next one here number five is that you're going to get into government contracting and build this company and sell it for multi-millions if not hundreds of millions of dollars. A lot of people think that. Like, the only reason I want to get into government contracting is I'm going to build a company and we're going to sell it for all this money. And they just have dollar signs. And look, a lot of companies fail. That's the reality of things. A lot of companies fail out of the gate. And then a lot of other companies don't balance their portfolio of contracts properly. You'll build a company that's doing 10 million in revenue and only be able to sell it for a million because you don't have a balanced portfolio of contracts and things like that. If you want to build a company and sell it, yes, you need that in mind when you get into the game, but you need to be thinking about things other than just one agency. You need to build yourself out into multiple. Multiple agencies. You know, you need to probably stretch yourself out not only in the federal market, but in the sled market, the state, local, and education market. You probably need to have a decent commercial side of your business as well. The key word there is diversified business. You need to have direct awards that are firm fixed price, and you need to have awards that are multi year deals. You also need to have contract vehicles. And if you put all of those things together and you build your company properly, then yes, you could sell it for multi millions of dollars. But look, I've got a friend of mine recently sold their company. It was somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 to $40 million in annual revenue over the last five years. That's kind of what they were doing. And that person walked away with about 7 million in cash. Just because you build a $30 million business doesn't mean you are actually going to have a $30 million sale. It's going to be a factor of different things. Once you get to the point where you're building your company successfully, growing and you're considering selling, then you need to bring in certain companies, you know, your bank, or if your bank doesn't do it, you need a specialized banker to come in take a look at things and actually help you figure out what the value is. You probably need a law firm and a marketing firm to come in and set all that stuff up. There's a lot of little pieces there so that you can say, Hey, right now the company is only worth 5 million, but if we did these eight things, we could get it worth 30 million or whatever it may be. That's just one of those unreasonable expectations. I hope you got a lot out of this episode. And if you want to learn more about what that first year or two in government contracting looks like, I highly recommend you go check out episode 216 of the podcast. It's called your first year in government contracting, and it'll help you understand how to lay the foundation to build a successful government contracting business. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of Game Changers. If you did, please go like and share this episode on your social media as well as rate and review the episode. That helps other government contractors find out about the podcast and benefit just like you. We'll see you next time.